You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Claire's upcoming season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 176. I am your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Another fun episode for you this week. We've got Emily Longaretta, who's the senior entertainment editor at Us Weekly. Now, you might be thinking, Steve, haven't you always had beef with Us Weekly? The answer to that question would be yes, I have for a very long time. Hence the reason I wanted to bring Emily on. Emily is actually the reason that you probably haven't heard me have much beef with us weekly within the last probably 12 months. Um, we talk about that story and much, much more. The way things have changed in the business, the way their magazine and coverage has changed of pop culture and reality shows. Um, very good talk. And we end it with a little Dawson's Creek because she's a very big fan of Dawson's Creek. And it's a show that I watched as well and was very into that show at a time in my life where, well, I, I can't say I had a lot going on when it first started. And then once I usually get started on a show, I usually don't give up no matter if it's terrible or average because I usually want to see it play out. Um, there are a few shows that I've given up on, but it wasn't because I didn't like it. It was mostly because I got swamped with other stuff. So Dawson's Creek, I, I share the whole story behind that and how I got sucked into that back when it debuted in January of 1998. But a few things to get to before we uh, get to our podcast guest, Emily. As I mentioned this week, um, every Sunday night on Instagram Live, Ashley Spivey and I will be doing an Instagram Live where we just take your questions and talk to everybody uh, about anything that's going on, Bachelor-related, any questions you may have. It's going to start at 8 Eastern every Sunday night. We're going to go for probably an hour. And this last week, if you if you missed it, it was on my IG Live, which means it stays up for 24 hours and then it automatically disappears. I did not save it or archive it. I'm still confused on how to archive a story. Ashley told me how to do it, and then I don't know. I, I don't know what happened. So it didn't archive. I will try to archive them from here on out. And then I think you can include them in your highlights or maybe even include them on IGTV and have that on my on my page where you can go back and watch them. But, yeah, um, you know, I like I haven't done many IG lives, as you know. However, the problem I have always had with IG live and the why I, you know, remember when I used to do those video ones way back in the day, like when I was living in my apartment which I haven't lived in since 2013. So, yeah, it's been a long time since I did those. Um, I think I did some after I moved into my house. But um, where we took questions, but the questions were screened, and you can pull them up, and you as the viewer could see the question on the screen as it was asked, and I would read it and answer it. People, And then those that company went out of business. I think it was called Vocal. And it went out of business, and you said, why don't you do, and when Instagram started becoming a thing, why not do IG Live? The problem with IG Live is... These questions and comments are coming so fast and furious that I'm missing 95% of the things that come in. 
And it's just I happened to catch it. And then some people, because they didn't get their question asked or I didn't read what they wrote, they just keep saying the same thing over and over, and it just keeps flooding the list of things coming in. I mean, the first thing we talked about in Sunday's podcast was Tyler and Hannah Brown, because that's what everybody wanted to talk about. What's going on with Tyler and Hannah Brown? What's going on? Are they hanging out? Are they dating? Are they having sex? Well, you know, whatever. Everybody wanted to know what's going on with Tyler and Hannah Brown, and we literally addressed that in the first five minutes of the IG Live. Well, you know, people who joined 10 minutes in, 15 minutes in, I get it. Not everyone's going to be able to join in right when it starts and right when it ends. But the problem is anybody that joined in after we gave that answer was asking it over and over and over again. Tell us about Tyler and Hannah. It's like we already did. So that's the problem with IG Live when it comes to making that a weekly thing. Um, once I'm talking about once the virus is over. Ashley and I are doing it for a weekly thing right now because I would just like some human interaction <laughs> Because I'm really bored. Uh, and Ashley, being a good friend of mine, um, you know, we do the He Said, She Said podcast as well, which we're still doing. If you want to be a part of that, please send an email to me. Send an email to Ashley. Let us know what time zone you're in. Let us know your situation. And let us know the best time for you to record. And we'll hopefully get that done. But for the time being, we're going to do that, hopefully every couple weeks. But we're also going to do Sunday night just for fun and do your questions on IG Live. And yes, we're still dealing with the same issue in that the timeline gets flooded with the same people saying the same things over and over and over again because, you know, maybe we didn't see it or we were answering a question. So every time we're talking and answering a question, until we're done with that, that's when we look back at the screen and see like, okay, what's the next question? Um, And then when I went to that, you can submit a question on those, and I pulled that thing up. The first five I looked at were like, hey, what's going on with Tyler and Hannah Brown? So, yeah, there isn't much I can do about that. Um, yeah, maybe we just have to search for all the questions that we haven't uh, gotten to. But, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, but that'll be this Sunday night again. Uh, we'll be doing it again, 8 Eastern time, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific. So check it out. I will give you a heads up on Twitter as well and um to tell people hey it's coming in case you forget so follow me on twitter at reality steve for that also want to talk about a little bit about colton's book i talked a lot about it yesterday and the things that he said in it which were really interesting and um i found it interesting that colton said that when he wrote the book he was under contract but now he's not so when he's doing these interviews he's actually being a little more descriptive then he could be in the book. I mean, I'm not going to read the book. I don't really feel I need to at this point because so many interviews that he's doing and so many outlets are picking out the the main things that he talked about in the book and the main things that he covered, his relationship with Allie Raceman, going down to paradise because he knew it would lead to possibly being The Bachelor, everything that happened on his season at the end with Cassie and her father and all this. I feel like I... I know the gist of it, uh, but the biggest thing is Colton has been very open about how he felt production treated him on his show. And again, I want to reiterate that it really isn't anything new to me, and it shouldn't be anything new to you if you've read my site with any regularity over the last 10 years. It's just always good to hear someone from the inside talk about how manipulated and how coercive those producers can be what's funny is colton still says i 
you know, they're my friends. I know they have a job to do, but it doesn't mean I have to agree with it. And he talks about not biting the hand that feeds him. And in a sense, you almost have to, because without that show, Colton would not have the popularity that he does. It's just plain and simple. A lot of these people, almost everyone that goes on the show, wouldn't be known outside of their circle of friends without this show. So they do owe the show a lot, because the show was a launching pad for where they get to move to, or where they get to move to in their career. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is an interesting dynamic that as upset and bothered and disappointed and confused you may be by some of the edit that you got on the show and whatnot, you know, it still is the thing that puts you on the map. And you cannot go at them too much because it doesn't do you any good. This show will eat you alive and spit you out. They do not care about you. Hell, Colton was the lead of the season. He's still in a relationship with the woman that he chose at the end, and he basically said they did everything they could to not have me end up with Cassie. Now, I did end up with her in a very weird fashion, but if they're sitting here promoting that, yeah, we want we want you to find love and we want you to find... No, they don't. They don't care. They care about riveting TV that people are going to tune into and people are going to watch. And I'm sorry. I don't care if good relationships have come out of the show. Those are the exception. Those are not the norm. This show does not care if they get a love story at the end of their season. And they're not going out of their way to make sure they give you a love story at the end of your season. I'm speaking about the leads. So it was actually very refreshing to hear that from Colton. And, I, you know, I've never been a huge Colton guy. Um, I've been very critical of him in the past. But at least he's being honest now. Like, if he would have came out with a book and just kissed the show's ass, and then I just would have been like, oh, more of the same. But um, he's being honest, and he's out of his contract. And I like when people are out of their contract and being honest. I don't think Colton would ever do my podcast because I think he's got something against me uh, based on things that he has said publicly, which is fine. I don't need him to be on the podcast. If he wanted to come on, would I put him on? Sure. I'll promote his book. I'll have him come on and talk about his book. He's talking to everybody else, um, so... You know, we'll see. I, I I wouldn't get your hopes up, though, uh, for Colton coming on this podcast. But I am impressed by what he has said uh, in interviews and how critical he has been of the show. I always appreciate people who, although the show put them on the map, they can actually say, yeah, this is not really what you think it is. And it isn't. All right, let's get going. Podcast number 176 with Emily Longaretta. Okay, let's bring her in. Uh, she is the senior entertainment editor at Us Weekly. She also hosts the Watch With Us podcast and the Here for the Right Reasons podcast as well. It's her first time on this podcast. It's Emily Longaretta. Emily, how are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. How are you doing? Good. Um, I've got a one gazillion dollar question that we're going to start this podcast off with. And this well, let's do only, it. This only came to light, I guess, kind of recently, and I never even knew it was going to be a question. However, for years, I think your publication has been something that, uh, especially in Bachelor Nation, has a lot of cover stories, a lot of Bachelor coverage in it. However, recently, I've noticed that, and just in conversation and talking with people, some people actually refer to it. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think it is, 
And then I think I'm right, but if I'm wrong, God, I've been pronouncing it wrong for 10 years. I've always called it Us Weekly. But some mm-hmm. people have recently said it's, or just in conversation have said, in talking about your publication, U.S. Weekly. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think it's U.S. because I think there would be two periods in between the, after the U and after the S, but I could be wrong. So please settle this debate right now. Is it Us Weekly or U.S. Weekly? It is Us Weekly. You are yes! 100% correct. I knew it. <laughs> but you know, when honestly, I didn't I had always heard of it as Us Weekly and I've been with them for about two and a half years now and when I started, there were some people, a lot of celebrities that I've interviewed that have said like, "Oh, US Weekly." And yeah. I was like, "What?" Like it shocks me. There are a lot of people who think that. Yeah, no, there are. And I didn't and I didn't really start hearing it until I don't know, sometime in the last 6 months, the first person in a conversation said U.S. Weekly, and I didn't bother to correct them, but I was like, of course. that doesn't sound right. <laughs> U.S. Weekly, <laughs> no. where are you getting that? I don't think it's U.S. I think it's us. And It's uh, us. Sweet. Okay, so we got that settled. The million-dollar question has been answered. Yeah, so, the hardest question has got done. It's Us Weekly. <laughs> so, um, all right, let's talk about a little bit, before we get into things, about your background. Where did you grow up? Um, where did you go to college? How did you get into this type of work? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I grew up outside of Syracuse, New York, which is where I am now, actually, spending some some time inside with my family. Um, grew up right around Syracuse, small town. I went to school at SUNY Oswego and majored in journalism. Um, I did a ton of internships when I was in college, and one of them was at Elle magazine, and I thought maybe I wanted to do some fashion, beauty, uh, beauty journalism kind of stuff. I realized that that was not where my interest was, but instead in the celebrity world, uh, I always was like a real big uh, Ryan Seacrest fan growing up, so I thought, you know, that could be fun. I, I'd like that, um, and I love to write, so I kind of started doing that. I moved to New York City when an internship in a different field became a job and I kind of just did some freelance stuff, tried to meet people. And eventually I reached out to a contact that I made on LinkedIn uh, at hollywoodlife.com, which is a celebrity news entertainment site. And I started there as the assistant to the editor in chief. So while I was there, I just worked my way up. I was there for five years and I took over the entertainment section at some point and realized that TV was what I was doing in all of my off time. So why not make that my full-time job? So I started uh, completely covering like 99% TV and movie journalism, uh, covering TV shows, figuring out new ways to cover them. And I just loved it so much. So I, you know, eventually wanted to move on from Hollywood life. And I had some friends that worked at Us Weekly. So once a position opened up, I dove right in and that's where I am now. And so now I, um, I handle the entertainment vertical on the website and I also write the us must section in the magazine. So that's all the movie music TV coverage in the magazine. And then I also launched, as you know, um, the watch with us podcast. And then my colleague, Sarah Heron launched the here for the right reasons podcast, which is all bachelor focused. And I join her and Come on and we talk, you know, break down some Bachelor news and talk to a lot of Bachelor people. But really, I love, love, love podcasts. So, like, I was so excited when I came to us and got to start my own because, as you know, that's, you know, where the things are now. And I yeah. love talking to people over them. I feel like I can get some real information on podcasts more than other other things. Yeah, it's funny. Now you mentioned Hollywood Life. That's where I first remember seeing your name just showing yes. up in bylines. And, I was like, and, and then all of a sudden... I think, and we'll get to it later, when you and I first came in contact, you were at Us Weekly, but 
Yeah. When, when I first saw it on Us Weekly, I was like, this name sounds familiar, and I don't remember <laughs> it being at Us Weekly. And um, yeah. And here we were. Um, just mm-hmm. out of curiosity, what do you guys like to refer to yourself as in terms of a publication? Um, a magazine, I would say. Okay. Because, I, I mean, it's... You know, it's over the years. It's kind of changed. I, I, I think. I think stories have changed. The way coverage mm-hmm. on sites like, you know, Us Weekly, Life and Style, um, In Touch. I don't even know if In Touch is even a thing anymore. But you it know, is. Just, yeah. Okay, it is. So it's like. I mean, some people like to call them tabloids. Um, I think, mm-hmm. if I had to be honest, I think maybe that was uh, a little more accurate. A few years ago, I, I don't know. I've seen a change in coverage. Of yeah, there's definitely been a change. To be honest, like I would say, I not that I I think tabloid has this negative connotation with it that has like people think it's made up, which is not the case. Yeah. Um, but I think that you know that that's a word that's been around forever. But I think in general, our I know our coverage has changed a lot. I mean, I've been there for two years and it's changed a lot even since I've come. But that's part of the reason that I focus more on TV and entertainment because like. I prefer asking people about a show rather than asking people about what they're doing in their personal life, which of course with reality TV, it's a little, that's a little bit of both, but yeah. And I think when you, when you talk about tabloids, I mean, if you look up the definition of a tabloid, it literally says popular in style and dominated by headlines, photographs and sensational stories. And I think, you know, I think back in the day and I'm thinking, and I'm talking Gosh, whenever I mean, I'm I'm just thinking of the one thing that always comes to mind when I think of tabloids is for years and years and years, we always saw something on the cover of one of these magazines, whether it was Us Weekly or In Touch or Life and Style about Jennifer Aniston being pregnant. Like that just seemed to dominate headlines. And like it's Uh like when you put that out as a headline and then whatever, it's like, okay, well, you're either going to be right or wrong because she's going to. If she's pregnant, that means she has to deliver something in nine months, and we're going to see it. And then, <laughs> and then it just kind of fades away, and everyone forgets that. Oh, by the way, we talked about this for three years. The Jennifer Anderson mm-hmm. is pregnant, and I don't. You don't, you just don't see that anymore. It doesn't happen right. anymore. Yeah, no, it's a different world now. I think. I think when things also became so much more online, I think that also changed. Like with Us Weekly, for example, it used to be you know ninety percent a print team, yeah. whereas now it's kind of the opposite. It's mostly digital, and then we have a smaller print team because. People in print, it's it's a different kind of writing. It's a different kind of reporting. It's a whole different world. And I think that, that, unfortunately, that world is a little bit less than it used to be. Well, it has to be because you guys print a magazine once a week. And new, right. news is breaking every day. So, yeah. you know, what people say in, in your magazine, unless it's, unless it's an exclusive where you have an interview with somebody that's not being released until your magazine comes out and they have no interviews with anybody else, Everything in there is probably stuff that people have already seen since the last issue came out online. Exactly. So, and I'm I'm curious. I mean, you mentioned ninety percent. Is that is that how it is for you guys now versus print versus online traffic? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't honestly know traffic numbers for print because I'm not part of that conversation. Um, but I would say it, it really comes into effect when we're planning out exclusives and we're planning out stuff like that because we get an exclusive interview, let's say with Colton. For example, we know that he's promoting a book. We know that he's talking to three, four, five, ten different outlets. Yeah. We know that that's not going to hold for print. So that's where we kind of come into like, okay, digital needs to jump on this now. Yeah. So, but then there's other things like 
Tiger King that everyone's talking about where it's, yes, those people are going to do interviews, but people are still going to be interested in a week to read a feature. So that works in print. Yeah, no, it certainly does. And I, I just, I've seen it change over the years. I mean, my site has been around just, I mean, obviously I've never been a print thing, but right. me going from desktop to mobile has changed. I'd say in 2015, my breakdown was 75, 25 print versus mobile. Now it's flipped in, wow. f- in five years. I'm I'm almost close to 80% people read my stuff on their phone or a tablet versus on their desktop. It just doesn't. That's it wild. Just, it's changed. I mean, it's completely uh-huh. changed, which means I've had to, um, I've had to change things as well in terms of how I present things. And, you know, anybody that knows this, maybe some people know it, some people don't know it, but mobile pays less than um, right. desktop. <laughs> so mobile ads are because when you're mobile, when you're on your mobile reading something, you can only fit so many ads uh, on a particular scroll and um, right. on desktop, you have them all there. Uh, but when 20% of your audience now, maybe 25 is desktop, you know, then everything has to lean towards mobile. That's a different story for a different different day. Um, (laughs) And I, you know, I've, one of the thing that's kind of changed a lot, I think, and I'm sure you'll agree with this is obviously social media has changed things, whether it be with celebrities or reality stars, because now a lot of these people make announcements, whether it's breakups, pregnancies, or lately even saying they have the coronavirus, it's all done on their Instagram account or their Twitter accounts. So before, usually some PR person was reaching out to a magazine or maybe the person that the subject themselves were and an entertainment outlet, it was released through them. So now I can read a whole story on an entertainment site such as yours and just the story is just a repeat of what that person posted on their Instagram. And clearly that's changed from your side because... Before, it was maybe a lot more breaking news back then. Now, most of the subjects are breaking news themselves. Absolutely. A hundred percent. It used to be, even when I started in the industry eight years ago, it was, it used to be a lot of us reaching out to, a, you know, maybe a source or we, someone we know here, we hear that they're pregnant. You know, we're reaching out, we're reaching out and they're, you know, saying we're working on an exclusive with another outlet already, or yes, we'll work on it with you. Now, a lot of the time it's, well, she wants to break it on her Instagram. So <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, well, we can't do anything about it. She wants to do what she wants to do it. So, and then Instagram ads come into a whole nother thing because then they're getting paid to do it. So yeah. why would they talk to us, you know? Exactly. And, you know, I think for the longest time, everyone has always said about, you know, oh, they're, you know, if you if you have somebody's ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, it's like, oh, they paid um, they paid them to talk or they, they, they sold their story to a tabloid. That was always the right. big thing back then. And I don't know, can you even talk about something like that? Is that something that happens in this industry? I mean, I can tell you from my personal experience and from my time at us and at Hollywood Life, we have never once paid for a story that I'm aware of. So any story that I've published, I have, I have not, I've, I've not been paid for. Usually it's through a contact that like I have or a source that I have or a relationship, you know, I mean, it's all about forming these relationships with people that trust you. Yeah. And I think what's funny is even if payment does happen, because I know there are some outlets that do pay. Of course. I'm sure. Yes. TMZ, like we'll even, I know TMZ does. Um, Right. And they talk about it. Yeah. That's an open thing. I'm pretty sure that they've talked about that before. And I think what's interesting is that it doesn't make someone any less credible if they're getting paid to tell their story. And I think that's no. where people say like, oh, they pay, they got paid to tell their story. Well, yeah, but doesn't mean 
what they're saying isn't true. It just means that they, they took advantage of somebody that was willing to give them money to, to well, relay a story. Well, it's exactly the same thing. I mean, people, reality stars get paid to go on TV. So it's the same thing. They're getting paid to tell their story again. So yeah. it's, you know. I've never, I've never really understood people. And it's always, and usually I'm talking about the people who tell their stories. It's always, you know, the ex or whatever. Usually it mm-hmm. happens in Bachelor Nation where. Yeah. An ex gives an exclusive to to an outlet and it's like, oh, they got, you know, they paid to tell their story. I know I, I'm, I know for a fact Chris Harrison has been quoted as saying, you know, he seems to discredit it because they got paid to do it. And I'm just like, no, that doesn't change anything. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, you talk about the Bachelor coverage for for us weekly. You know, one question that I do have is you guys are are big on Bachelor stuff and maybe not all of it is positive at some times. Um you don't have to name names, but hey, if you want to, be my guest. <laughs> How many times have you posted a story about someone in Bachelor Nation that wasn't particularly positive, and you heard from that person, person either asking you, why did you guys write that, or could you change it? Um, I, I would say it happens less than you would think, only because at us, and I know this because I've worked and freelanced for places that don't do this, at us, we everything has to go through a legal team. So we do not publish unless we've reached out to the person. So we give these people the opportunity to comment. So when so-and-so will post something that might not be the greatest or will slam Bachelor Nation, which a lot of these people do end up doing, as you know, um, they'll slam the show or something and we'll write it up. We immediately reach out to ABC. We immediately reach out to that person to see if they want to talk more or if they want to clarify anything like that. Granted, we're not going to hold it for two days. You know how it is. The news turns around quick, especially with all these people on social media. So for the most part, they're not, you know, they're not reaching out angry. I mean, yes, there are some people that are always going to get mad and they're not going to want, you know, they act like there is, we're focusing on negative things that draw a headline. Well, at the end of the day, that is the point. We want people to click on the headline of course, but we're not writing it up unless they said it. So it's not like, you know, so it's a give and take. I mean, of course, we're not gonna, we don't take down stories. So we can add in a comment if they want to clarify it. But we're not going to take a story down because they're upset that we quoted them on something that they said. What about contestants pitching their stories to you guys so they can run something to you? What do you mean? Um, Someone coming to you with a story like, hey, will you cover this? Yeah, I mean, we get that a lot. I think every outlet gets that, that uh, contestants, re- any reality stars are saying, you know, like, do you want to cover my clothing line or, you know, whatever. Um, it's give and take. It depends. If that person is a great, you know, a great source or does things for us also, you know, that's kind of how the source world works. Um, but at the same time, we don't want our whole site to be favor posts. So it's like, you don't want to be like, oh, I'm going to cover every single sunglasses line that so-and-so puts out that's not going to happen so it's a it's a give and take yeah and it's certainly something where when you look at it from the outside you kind of have to do it on a case-by-case basis because also your business is run by traffic and clicks and you know what people in either bachelor nation or even just in pop culture in general are going to generate clicks and going to generate interest in your stories and in the content that you're delivering and if it's somebody that's kind of a fringe reality star that's like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm doing this appearance or, hey, I'm doing this, you know, I'm, I'm whatever they may be selling. Mm-hmm. I know you have it's 
like you said, you kind of have to break it down with everybody in your group. Like, hey, do we want to cover this? Because they right. they aren't a big enough name. And that's kind of the way it is in this business. It is. And it's like, it's funny because with me, I've always, you know, I watch a lot of reality TV that maybe other people don't watch and vice versa. There are people on staff who watch shows that I don't. So I say like, oh, I love this show. I want to cover this. And they're like, no, that doesn't get any, that's not going to get any traffic for us. Like no way. So it's always a conversation. And sometimes you have to try it. Sometimes you never know what reality shows are going to hit. I don't think anyone knew Love is Blind was going to be what it was, you know? So you just never know what's going to end up generating traffic. Have you noticed more coverage of reality stars than celebrities? Or, um, I don't know. I mean, I haven't. I'm on your side a lot, and I and I see stuff, and it it seems like there's more coverage about reality stuff than going the celebrity route. But I I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just I would say yeah. I would I would say in general yes, because I think that in the world we're in, a lot of these reality stars end up being they're trying to become celebrities and with social media, they're doing newsworthy things. So these people are, you know, getting pregnant or having breakups or doing the X, Y, Z that's going to get people interested. So I would say, yeah, in that world, but also because reality TV is just growing so much that bachelor nation does so well for us. We know which specific people do very well and which don't. And it's kind of, you know, it it is, we do cover a lot of that. I would say, yeah, for the most part, we cover a lot of reality TV. Yeah. Um, I want to move on to uh, something that pretty much got us in touch with each other, and that's the issue of exclusives. Um, mm-hmm. I've had my issue. <laughs> I've had my issues with you guys in the past. I've made it mm-hmm. clear as day plenty of times, and it was always about crediting stuff that I had had on my site, and you know whatever it be, maybe twenty four, forty eight hours later, you guys were posting as an exclusive, but. Right. That hasn't happened in a while because it was, I think it was a couple of years ago now where you had reached out to me or maybe I did to you. I can't remember who had reached out to who first, but it was basically like, hey, what's, what's going on here? Why can't this be, you know, why can't this be credited or what? why are you saying exclusive when it was on my site 24 hours ago? Can you right. just talk in general about... Um, exclusives or first reported or how it works because i mean i will be honest it has changed since you and i have had that talk you guys have had no problem putting in your stories as first reported by reality steve or whatever the line is you use and that's Absolutely. all i ever wanted and but for the longest time you didn't and that's what drove me up a wall but then i got first, in contact absolutely with you. So, yeah, and I, I will say the way we got in touch because I looked back at it yesterday and I was because I was thinking about it and I was like, how did we start talking? And it's because I had reached out and thanked you because you said you had said like something about my podcast and you had mentioned it on your podcast. And I always appreciate that. You know, it's all about growing the growing, spreading the name out there. So it's yeah. I appreciate it. I reached out and you had said to me like. I wish I could say the same. And I, I had no idea because at that point I didn't know, you know, I, I hadn't been at us long. Um, I had no clue that it was a thing that we hadn't been doing. So basically when we break a story, we don't really cover a story unless we have our own source recording. So if, for example, people magazine breaks a pregnancy and they post it, we don't want to really, we don't really want to put up a post and say like, so-and-so is pregnant according to people. We want to put up Us Weekly confirms and then as people first reported, we want to give people the credit. My biggest thing when I came into Us two years ago was I worked for Hollywood Life for five years. I used to break a lot of stories, but people don't love Hollywood Life. People, you know, it doesn't have a great reputation um, for a various amount of reasons, but a lot of people don't 
you know, consider it this like real, real entertainment website, which is not true. They break a lot of stories, but because people don't look at them, they say, you know, like, oh, we don't need to mention that they broke it. Like if we have a source confirm, it's fine. We don't have to reference it. And that really makes me angry because I would spend, you know, my own relationships breaking a story and breaking casting news or anything like that. And I would get very frustrated at other sites who did that. So when I found out that they weren't citing you, that was something that I kind of went to my team with and was like, guys, like, regardless of what you think or what your opinions are, if this story is already out there, like, it does us a disservice by not saying who reported it first. It's not saying that we're not adding to the story because we might have our own exclusive reporting to it too, but it doesn't make sense not to point that out. And they all agreed with me. A lot of people, you know, aren't familiar because sometimes a reporter sends something in and says, hey, my source just heard this. And another editor who's on might not follow The Bachelor and just be like, oh, this is an exclusive. I haven't seen it, you know, doesn't do the background check into it. So there's no communication. So that's really opening the door of communication and opening that dialogue that is like, guys, we're giving anyone credit. I don't care if it's, there's a site called The Ashley. I'm sure you've heard of them that do a lot of teen mom news and they it's a smaller website i know a few of the girls who work there they had the same issue that we weren't citing them and it's like no they have sources in production that are getting these scoops we're gonna cite them so it's the kind of thing that has changed i think in the industry overall because i've noticed a lot more sites are citing everyone and it's something that it ultimately like we all work hard to get these stories and we all want the same thing we all want traffic but I think just giving credit where credit's due is where it comes, what it comes down to. Yeah. And that's all it, and that's really all it was. Now, granted, I, I, I totally see where somebody like yourself, like you said, if people breaks a pregnancy or a marriage or whatever, and has exclusives, um, it, it turns into something where you don't want to say as reported by people, you want to say, you want to run your own story on it and then say later on, you know, as first reported by people, but you don't want to lead. Right. You basically don't want to lead with that. And that's, and it's just, it's just a weird dynamic because I think, you know, you go to journalism school in the early two thousands. I think the way stories are broken and crediting is, is different than if you were to go to journalism school now, because Twitter and Instagram is a way where something can be broken as an exclusive. It doesn't have to be, a headline of a newspaper or headline of a magazine. An exclusive could be someone's Instagram account, which we're seeing almost daily now with I yeah, I remember when you I remember with you. I think you were the first one to post something about Polly from the challenge was like out in a car with Danielle or with someone. And Demi. Demi, With Demi. Demi. Yes, yes, yes. And I remember we wrote it up. And I think maybe that's what it was that we first talked about. It was something like that. But I remember being like Guys, like, he got the photo, so, like, we got a credit who got the photo. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like, oh, well, he posted it on Twitter. I don't know. Is that exclusive? You know, it's that middle ground thing that is different now than it was 10 years ago. And it's funny because I actually had this issue with somebody, and I'm not going to name the publication or who it was, mm-hmm. but they specifically told me, I've been in the business for X amount of years. I, you know, I took journalism journalism school. If you report something, Steve... And I have my own sources telling me about it and I report it, then I don't need to credit you. And I'm like, but wait a second, you have to understand something. That's not the way. No, if if, if I was like you said, like you said about Hollywood life, maybe they didn't want to credit Hollywood life. But 
you know, and I'm not going to, you know, it's going to sound very back padding here, but I think I've broken enough exclusives within this franchise over the last five to ten years to where I'm a pretty credible source when it comes to this right. franchise. So if I break something and then, yes, you now see, oh, my God, Reality Steve said this. Let me see what else I can find out. And, again, you can add to the story and do your own reporting mm-hmm. on it. Great. But that person specifically told me, I don't need to credit you if my people are telling me the same thing. And I'm like, yes, you do. But if your because re- if your reporting led them to even reach out to their sources, then yes, you do. That's what it comes down to. It's like if people post a story, I'm like, oh, guys, like people has that so and so broke up. Can we reach out to our sources and then we confirm it with our sources? It's like, OK, well, we confirmed it, but they still broke it. Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's the thing that kind of drove me up a wall with this person was, hey, and I, I, I get that you have your own sources and I get that you found out yourself. But and then they but then they proceeded to tell me, well, we knew about this, but couldn't run with it. And that was their thing. Like, well, we knew about it before you posted it. But when you posted it, we hadn't run with it yet. So once we did run with it, we didn't need to credit you. And I'm just like, <laughs> well, first off. How does anybody know that you're even telling the truth on that? How do I know right. that you're not making that up after the fact? And right. that's where it comes in. Like, look, if it's out there, if, you know, I, I, you, can, you can go down my Twitter feed and see how many times I have retweeted a story from Us Weekly. More, more so than any other magazine outside of right. maybe people, but probably Us Weekly uh, more so. But you, people in Us Weekly are the two that I will credit the most. I mean, I didn't credit. I'll just re- you know retweet stories right. that are usually Bachelor Nation related. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a weird dynamic now. And, um, yeah, if you went to journalism school in the year 2000 or even somewhere like 2005, you probably were taught a certain way about who to credit on breaking stories where yeah. nowadays it's not the same anymore. Times no. times have changed. It's, it's, it's whoever absolutely gets, different. You know, because it can be broken on a Twitter or an Instagram or on a website. Mm-hmm. Like you're a publication that does a, you know, that has your own online site and you have a magazine. Well, if the Reality Steve website posts something, it's and it ends up being true, then it's. I've I think I've built up enough credibility in this business now to where yes, I can be credited. But to your point, let's just say a lower ended website that doesn't have a track record of anything they might post something that very well very well may be a hundred percent sourced and end up being right but us weekly is a bigger name and you don't need to say so and so reported it first because they it might be the first thing they've ever reported and you you don't need to give them credit on something like that it's just kind of the way it works Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough because I we there's been those kind of cases where you know I've I've seen news on like a random website that I've never heard of before or that I have never you know known any of the reporters nothing and I'm like I, I don't know I don't know what this is and then my source reports you know tells me that it's true I'm like oh it, it is it's this fine line you walk between like well I want to give someone credit of course but like I don't know how much how reputable this site is yeah I mean you you it's like. You know, people want to say I broke it first or I heard it first or whatever. But if you don't have a verified track record and a laundry list of things that you have in the past already reported that ended up being true, along with not having a track record of I'm just going to throw we're just going to throw a bunch of shit at the wall and hope something sticks where you have a bunch of wrong stuff you reported as well. That also hurts your credibility. You know, I mean, that's the other thing. It's like you might have a lot of right things. 
But if you always are throwing out a bunch of things that end up being wrong, you can't complain if you're not credited because that hurts your credibility when you do report stuff wrong. And exactly. I, I, I don't think everybody understands that. But um, <laughs> no. moving on to your podcast, yes, you recently spoke to Colton. Uh, it's on the um, Here for the Right Reasons podcast that aired this week because his uh, his book came out, obviously, as you mentioned earlier. He's talking to a bunch of people and, and giving a bunch <laughs> of interviews to promote it. What did you take out of the interview with him um, that stuck with you the most? Um, I would say that stuck with me the most was that he's not thrilled with Bachelor Nation and Bachelor producers in general, which I think a lot of people kind of assumed. Um, but he told us on record that he wasn't allowed to uh, really write about Peter's season at all or talk about it. Now, something that we do at us is we have some one guest blog or come on a recap every week. We do it for a couple different franchises. Rachel Lindsay's done it for a few seasons for us. Um, but, it's, you know, we try to find someone that has this uplifting voice, but also, like, is not afraid to be honest. So it's great. Um, it was, I had Desiree it was, this season. It was Desiree this season, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, um, you know, Colton and I have formed a friendship over the past couple of years. And so he was one of the first people I asked because I think he has, a, like, a good personality for it. Uh, but he had told me, like, at the time, he wasn't allowed to do it. So he kind of explained, now that his contract with ABC is over, that uh, he wasn't allowed to write about it or talk about it because he he knew what had happened and he knew it was going to be controversial. And the Bachelor producers knew that he was not going to hold back when it came to that. And he told us he felt like they hung him out to dry and that they were, didn't treat Peter with the respect that they should. So it was it was interesting to to hear him say that because he, he kept saying, like, I don't want to bite the hand that fed me. I don't want to, you know, uh, go back on the show that made me who I am. And I'm very appreciative of, you know, he's finding Kathy and finding love. But ultimately, he was he was disappointed with a lot of things that happened on his season. I think that was definitely what I took out of the interview. And what was the, the most like kind of over if you were reading the book, reading between the lines, you could see that. But when he wrote the book, he was under contract. So that's why I wanted to talk to him now, because I knew his contract was over. Can he say now? Because he was very clear. I read an interview he did with Amy Kaufman from the L.A. Times. Yes, um, I read that, too. Yes. And he said specifically they intervened in my and Cassie's relationship, basically. But he yes. he didn't go into details or did he now um he basically just said that the producers had called cassie's dad to come out and knew that she was going to want to leave after talking to her dad so in his mind they kind of set him up for a breakup okay that's what I which said. ultimately is not you know what the show is for so he was you know that's what he felt like they were setting him up to get brokenhearted instead of setting him up to fall in love yeah, and I guess it's a slippery slope for him because the show is what made him. And in that interview with Amy, um, you know, he was very clear about, look, I basically had to go down to paradise if I wanted any chance at becoming The Bachelor. They made that fairly clear to me. Um, and yes, and even in his book, he actually talked a lot about that. And he talked about it to us, too, that he, you know, felt bad about the whole Tia situation because he literally put her, you know, put her in this position and was honest with her, but that he was going to paradise with the hope to become a bachelor and become the bachelor and him and Blake were kind of in this running and they were texting about it all the time. And they're like, they knew it was going to be one of them. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, he says in the book, like, you know, Tia said, if you don't, you know, if you don't find love on bachelorette, like I'll see you in paradise. So it, they knew it was going to happen. And then I, my guess was from what I've read, it seemingly was, he wasn't really, 
interested in starting up with Tia again, but he had to put on this facade or storyline down in paradise that he was just to kind of give them what they want. And he knew that if he left paradise with Tia, he couldn't be the bachelorette. I mean, he couldn't be the exactly. Be exactly. The he wanted, yeah, he wanted to try out, he wanted to try out what was there. Cause he said he did have something with Tia before going on bachelorette. So he thought like, well, maybe we should give it a try, but he knew within an episode, like, all right, this isn't what's going to happen. <laughs> like I don't have these feelings. And I ultimately knew that he wanted to be the bachelor. So that was what he went there for. And he was, that's when he was honest with her and was like, I gotta go. <laughs> Cause I mean, yeah. I, he clearly he made the right choice. So it's really interesting because you get asked a lot, you know, people ask me all the time, is the bachelor scripted and or bachelor right. is it scripted? And, you know, I mean, Colton was pretty clear that he didn't want any part of asking four different families during his four hometown dates with Kaylin, Hannah G, Tasha, and Cassie. He didn't want right. to ask four different families for their hand in marriage, but yet you read his quotes and he was yeah. basically forced to and made mm-hmm. to or coerced so much into can, they convinced him so much that this is what you need to do. And to me, that's just as bad as you might as well script the show then because right. it, that's nothing organic about that. He didn't want to do it. So he his goal going into hometowns was I'm not asking four parents for hands in marriage. But at the end of four hometown dates, he did. So he didn't he didn't <laughs> exactly. want to do he didn't want to do something and then he ended up doing it because production told him he needed to or they needed him to, or this is what he should have been doing. So that means that that didn't happen organically, which is the whole point that they're trying to sell to people is our show is very organic. And this is, we, Oh no, we just sit back and turn the cameras on. It's like bullshit. No, it doesn't. No. I mean, that's anyone who has worked in TV or watches TV, you know, the producers have their job, of course. But I think he was showing that like they were, they're doing a lot more than what they're trying to let us believe. Um, I thought it was interesting that he had said, you know, that he was also really annoyed with the amount of the virgin talk that was happening, which yeah. I, and I called him out on this in my interview. I said, you know, well, you did title your book the first time. So like, let's not, you know, we're still leaning into it. So, yeah. we, but at the same time, like he, at one point, like said to the producers, like, okay, enough. Like I've had enough of this. So I, I think he kind of hit his breaking point even early on, like knowing that maybe this show isn't what I thought it was. Um, not that he regrets doing it, but it's, it was a little different. And he actually said that he hopes it gets back to what it used to be before Peter and Hannah's season even, because now it seems like it's a little different. Yeah, he can hope, but that's probably not going to happen. I mean, it's just... Because Peter, let's be honest, those they, those seasons have good ratings. So yeah. like, as much as I love Ben Higgins more than anything, it wasn't a dramatic season, didn't have the crazy ratings. So <laughs> it might not, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I think that, a little bit of a train wreck is more entertaining than finding love for them. For sure. I mean, yeah. uh, train wreck television is what people <laughs> want to see. If, if all 30 contestants in the house got along together and sang Kubaya every night and they all became BFFs and there was no drama, this show would be ultimately ridiculously boring. And if that were to happen, I guarantee the viewing audience would be like, God, this is so boring. Like, there's no drama this season. Right. But, th- but then when you exactly. get ultimate drama like we did on Peter's season, it's, oh, my God, it's so much drama. Where's the love story? It's just like <laughs> you, can never, you can never please anybody. But those people complain, and yet 8.5 million people watched Peter's second night finale. It's just like, well, yep. you're watching. And, you know, they're going to keep doing it as long as they see ratings like that. You're going to see drama and you're going to see. I would assume that I would assume that Peter's season, because it couldn't have it really couldn't be spoiled, as he kept saying, 
I think that's what got people watching more than anything. I think that, you know, Chris Harrison says that he's doesn't, he doesn't know why Peter kept saying that in interviews, but he clearly did them a favor because people were watching because of that, I would say. Yeah, I think there was a part of them that were watching because of it. And, you know, I, from the time he started saying it, which was, you know, that week he started promoting the show and first week of January leading up to the first mm-hmm. episode, you know, the fact that he even brought up my name was, was shocking <laughs> to me. Um, yeah. And I was just like, wow, he's really leaning into this. And I don't understand yeah. why, because, yeah, maybe at the time in the first week of January, I had not heard what happened. And he almost ended up being right because it took me all season to fi- figure mm-hmm. out and find out what happened. But I still don't understand to this day. I don't know why he was so confident because I can tell people now that when I found out the day before part one of the finale, what happened, that was just kind of something to where somebody broke and that person could have broke a lot earlier. They just did. Um, so it was almost like, well, it's tomorrow night or, you know, it's the next two nights. You might, (laughs) you might as well know. Um, that person easily could have thought that a a month earlier, uh, six weeks earlier, eight weeks earlier, it could have been the day after Peter said that to people. So it was just really weird, but in a way it worked for him and it worked for their season. Yeah. And it's always interesting because uh, I always, and the part of the reason that I've read your site for so long is because when, because as, as a reporter who like covers TCAs, which for people who don't know, a TV critics association, we all go and sit in a room for hours and hours and networks bring their talent and we do interviews. So I always, during the winter TCA, I always talk to The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Yeah. And so this year, uh, I spoke to Peter very briefly, but like the year before, the year when Ari was there, I was supposed to have a sit down with him on camera. We had a studio and everything. He canceled last minute. I grabbed him later that night at the party and talked to him for a few minutes. I later found out that was the day that he went and flew. He went to Becca's. He was in the same outfit that he, when he came to the party. So I, I found it so funny that I look back and part of the reason is because I'm like, okay, what is his mood during this interview and where he's at then? And then I read your spoilers and scoop and I'm like, oh, all right. So now I know why his mood was like that. Like, it's just so funny to kind of put it all together. So you spoke to Ari the night earlier in the, the night day, of earlier in the day was when he had his breakup at the house with Becca in yep. California. Wow. Yeah, he canceled all his morning interviews and ABC told me that he had canceled his interviews and they were upset because we had had an exclusive setup, like a whole studio setup. So it was a big loss for us and we were pissed and they were like, it's not on us. Like, we're so sorry. And I'm like, okay, you know, and then they're like, we're going to try to get him to the party tonight. And I was like, okay, he's not going to come. Like, I, you know, I didn't even think he would. And then he came, did, did, I think he talked to me and maybe two other reporters and the publicists were like, nope, he's got to go. And then he was like outside at the party afterward for 25 minutes on the phone. And now I'm like, who is he talking to? Like, I'm so, you know, I'm just so curious now because it's, you know, a different world. When he was, when he did do that interview with you, obviously he didn't say, well, yeah, I ended things with Becca earlier today. <laughs> but what did, like, how was his, what was he saying? Was he just giving generic, um, like, oh, it's been a rough, it's been tough and Man, yeah, it was a, a super process. it was super generic because it was so early on. I mean, I think just the premiere had aired at that point that I think it was yeah. very very dramatic about how 
how the ending wasn't what people were going to expect and how it was, you know, more difficult than he thought it was going to be, which ultimately, like, we get the same kind of answers every season at the beginning interviews because they know what to do. You know, they're very trained. And yeah. I like it better when it's a little bit further in. But, you know, it is what it is. It, it was different, you know, in the summer TCA when I spoke to Colton, it was during when Paradise was airing. And I had heard from sources that he was going to be The Bachelor, but that he, you know, that it wasn't 100% yet. And to me, that means it probably is 100%. They're just not telling me that. Um, But I, you know, so I kind of talked to him like he was already The Bachelor. And he was very much promoting it as that, like as that he was going to, he was sure he wanted to be The Next Bachelor. And I gave him a lot of credit for that because a lot of them play coy, like, oh, sure, if they want me, I would do it. But I liked that he was like, no, I want to do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, we know a lot of people say, I mean, we know a lot of people in this franchise say, oh, I would be interested in, yeah, I'd be flattered if I did it. It's like, shut up. We all know that you, no. <laughs> we all know that you would sell your soul for it because we and know, some of them do. Yeah. And we know what happens. We know because they know, know what can come of it and how it can really change your life. Just look at someone like Hannah Brown. I mean, right. So exactly. She's the most popular person on instagram from this franchise in the history of the show i never looked at tiktok until hannah brown i'll say that neither (laughs) neither did i um and you know i mean that's that's now become a story in and of itself but um yeah let's wrap up here and uh i want to talk your passion which is dawson's creek um Let me. It is my passion. Yeah, I was going to say. So it's in your bio that you're a huge Dawson's Creek fan. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about like how many times have you watched season one through season six? Um, how many times would you say you've seen the seasons? Um, like the series in whole, I've probably watched like six or seven times from beginning to end. Um, I, I, because usually when it's odd to say, usually when I get in a relationship, I've been in a relationship for six years now, and within like the first month of a relationship. I have the, my boyfriend watch Dawson's Creek because I think it's really important part of my life. So I want them it to be also a part of their life. Okay. <laughs> so I've done this in a couple of the serious relationships I've been in. And because then I like reference it all the time. I mean, I make Dawson's Creek references on the regular basis. So it's like, if you're not going to understand them, I don't know if we should be together. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's understandable. Um, yeah. I, I, so when we, when we talk about Dawson's Creek, um, I've always said, on record numerous times that you take any television show in the history of television shows, they all come to an end and they all have a series finale. I've always thought that Dawson's Creek had one of the best series finales of any show. You put, you put it up against any show, Seinfeld, mm-hmm. Friends. I thought, I th- well, Seinfeld is, I mean, half the people hate it, half the people love it. Yeah. I don't know how you could watch Dawson's Creek from begin, beginning to end and not like the finale. Unless, well, unless you were, unless you wanted Joey to end up with Dawson, which is a different argument altogether. But just the way the finale was done, and you know that was kind, of, you know this was like early two thousands, and you know jumping forward, you know doing flash forwards was kind of a new thing back then. Mm-hmm. They they did it kind of perfectly, and um, whether or not you agree with Pacey ending up with jo- uh, with um, <laughs> with Joey is is you know that's debatable. I'll ask you that in a second, but. Just overall, I think you would probably agree that was one of the better series finales you could get. 100%. And I've watched so many TV shows at this point that now I can see, like as a kid, I didn't realize what made a good season finale or series finale. And obviously now as a TV reporter, I do. But 
for me now that I've watched it so many times back, like the last season wasn't wasn't incredible to me. It wasn't great. I never I don't always like when shows go to college, like high school shows go to college. It's hard. I think they have a lot of shows have a hard time with that. And I didn't love the last season. So I think that when Kevin Williamson, who was the original creator and writer, decided to come back to write the finale, it completely like it just changed the game again and went back to what the show originally was. And that's why for me, the season finale, the series finale was so good. So were you Dawson, Dawson, Joey or Pacey, Joey, (laughs) Pacey, Joey from day one. Honestly, every time I've watched it, I don't understand how people can be on Dawson team Dawson. Like it really doesn't make sense to me in the end. How they could have ended up. Yeah. In the end, it it didn't make any sense because they had pretty much grown apart and it made sense. But right. I think maybe people were holding on to, hey, they were each other's, you know, first kiss and, you know, how they ended season one the way they did. Um, right. There was that whole thing. But, you know, for me, what's interesting, it's someone like me that's, you know, about to be 45 and male. And, you know, how <laughs> how did I get into a show like Dawson's Creek? I can I can easily right. tell you how I did. This show debuted in January of 1998. I graduated college. In May of 1997, I was living in West Los Angeles in a studio apartment that had no furniture. It was just a futon. And when I say a futon, I'm not even talking about the frame. It was just the cushion of the futon on the ground. I had nothing in my apartment other than a futon on the ground and a table that my TV was on. I was so January 20, January 98 rolls around. I'm seven months out of college. I'm living in West LA to get to my apartment. I have to drive on Santa Monica Boulevard and starting in whenever it was probably that summer, probably the summer of 97, there were billboards for Dawson's Creek coming in January of 98. And I'm like, Oh, and I saw it every single day on the way home from work. And I'm like, well, and it's about, you know, people that were in, you know, were teenagers. I was just out of college. So it wasn't, too far removed from where I was at the time Beverly Hills 90210 was kind of on its down on, mm-hmm. on, its, on its downside they were you know two years removed from college I was watching it but not nearly as excited about it I had a job at that time but I had zero social life I'm living in a studio in West LA by myself <laughs> and I'm just like I'll just start watching it and then I just watched it every whenever night it aired I don't Wednesday it yeah aired. and and that's how I got addicted to it. And that's how mm-hmm. I watched every episode of every season. And um, that's how it became. It's almost like time and place. If, if that wasn't my job and I wasn't living there, there's a good chance I may have never watched Dawson's Creek. But A hundred percent. Because I, I saw the billboard the every day. That... I was like, I have to watch it. I have to. Right. Which is so funny because that's not really the case with TV now. Because now TV is promoted on every outlet ever. Exactly. So it's like you see a big show. But. With me, it was like, oh, I, I saw it on the cover of a magazine and I my sister was raving about it because she we loved Mighty Ducks. So it was like the kid from Mighty Ducks is in a show like yeah. we got, it was like and then I mean, so maybe that's part of the reason I've also been Team Pacey from day one because of Mighty Ducks. That could be the other reason. Okay, So you had preconceived notions going in. You already had a character <laughs> that you liked no matter what. <laughs> And then and then and you see, and then you see and then you see little kid from Dawson you see little kid from Mighty Ducks within the first few episodes of the opening season he's banging his teacher like whoa oh god my parents I remember my parents being like what are you're not 
watching this. What are you watching? And I was like, I don't know. I got to watch it. It was the only show I can remember that I was working at a grocery store at the time of my first job. And I remember being like, I can't work Wednesday nights. Like, I, I have to be home to yeah. watch Dawson's Creek. Even though my parents could record it on the VHS for me, I wanted to watch it live. Yeah. No, I mean, I was well, I was home by myself anyway every night <laughs> in 98. So, yeah, I mean, it was just one of these things where you just – it's so weird to think that, yeah, the reason why I watched it was because I saw a billboard every day on Santa Monica, Santa Monica Boulevard as I headed home to my apartment. And nowadays, that wouldn't even be the case. You just hear about stuff no. through word of mouth, through Twitter, uh, all this stuff. So mm-hmm. very interesting about how it works. But, Emily, um, that was a good little trip down memory lane for Dawson's Creek. Yes, just, it enjoy, was. Enjoy talking about that show. Um <laughs> But thank you so much uh, for coming on. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad that, um, you know, my differences with Us Weekly have pretty much been resolved and worked out. And um, I appreciate the steps that you guys took to, and you in particular, kind of were the one at the forefront of it to kind of step in and say, hey, this is, you know, this is wrong. We can we can credit each other. He he runs our stories all the time on his Twitter account. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. So, so I really appreciate it. And, um, again, I thank, thank you for coming on. And, certainly have you on again in the future thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it i'm i've been a fan of yours for a long time so it is my pleasure anytime you want me to come on again thanks to emily for coming on she was great first time we had her on we're definitely gonna have her on again in the future a lot of stuff that we covered there and uh don't forget this sunday night ashley spivey and i will do our weekly instagram live at eight eastern time 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific. So if you can tune in, you got a question to ask us, go ahead. Could be a relationship question. doesn't have to be Bachelor Nation related because we know there's not a whole hell of a lot going on in Bachelor Nation. Ashley and I will share some stories that happened to us over the last week. Um, This Sunday, it will be my first time using my tripod that I got for my phone, the tripod that I bought previously, which doubled as a selfie stick. The selfie stick part works. The tripod doesn't. It just, my phone, it sold as a tripod, but I don't know how it is because my phone basically weighs it down and tips it over every time. But got a tripod. I basically got the same one that Ashley has. And I said, send me the link, please, because your tripod works great. I got it. It works. Kind of weird now that I'm finally joining everyone in the 20th century here. And uh, in, in 2020, and now I actually have a tripod for my phone instead of leaning it up against my speaker uh, and having it lower than my head. uh, Now I've, you know, can kind of look right into a camera, which is a hell of a lot easier. So thank you to Ashley for that. She's helped me technologically with so many things, whether it be Instagram or this or other things that she's helped me with. Uh, She's always been uh, such a great friend. So um, thanks to Ashley. And uh, again, thanks to Emily Longaretta for coming on. For podcast number 176 next week got another good one um and got something brewing uh on the horizon probably within the next couple weeks in the podcast that you will definitely be interested in i'm just gonna leave it at that anyway thank you all for tuning in i really appreciate it please rate subscribe and review in apple podcasts it's much appreciated You don't even have to leave comments. If you want to rate, that's fine. They have changed the way they do rating and subscribing in Apple Podcasts, but it's still very much appreciated when you do do it. So please take the time out. If you don't don't want to write a comment, that's fine. 
just rate us and rate me, you know, five star. That'd be great. That'd be, uh, that'd be wonderful. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And we will talk to you next week. See you.